0: Welcome to Run This World. I'm your host, Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur, turned 50-year-old mom of a 10-year-old. No matter what stage and age I'm in, I always feel happier when I'm learning, growing, and connecting. And when I find amazing things that help me learn, grow, and connect, I naturally want to share. This is an episode in a special series I'm calling The Body Summit. My goal is to help women understand, learn, and handle the changes we experience as we age, because let's face it, we're very different emotionally and physically at 50 than we were at 20 or 30 or even 40. I just so happen to be in the lovely perimenopausal stage of life. So much of the series focuses on what happens during the transition before, during, and after menopause. Today, you'll hear all about hormones from my brilliant, funny, down to earth friend, Dr. Anna Lundeen. Anna is a board certified family medicine physician. She has a BS in bioenvironmental engineering from Cornell University and completed her medical doctorate at Drexel University College of Medicine in 2006. She's been practicing medicine in the Yampa Valley since 2009. She currently works at Northwest Colorado Community Health Center part-time and runs a virtual functional medicine practice called Wellevate Health. It's W-E-L-L-E-V, the number eight, health. This is important because you're going to want to look her up. As a certified CrossFit coach and nutrition enthusiast, functional medicine was an obvious next step as this approach uses nutrition, movement, stress management, and supplements to support our body's natural processes and address the root cause of symptoms. When it comes to hormone health, this approach works wonders. Anna's mission is to help busy women feel their absolute best as they tackle the peaks and valleys of everyday life. I think you will find that she has that effect even through the airwaves. I know she had that effect on me sitting across the desk, that's for sure. Uh, before we start, I am thrilled to share that we have a sponsor for the Body Summit series it's Inside Tracker. I found Inside Tracker when I was Googling how to get personalized blood work drawn from my home based on what I wanted to analyze without a visit to the doctor. I wasn't even sure if it was possible, but not only does Inside Tracker offer exactly what I was looking for, they also have a slew of blood work options that I hadn't even considered until I saw them, some of which felt perfectly targeted to me as a 50 year old athlete. In a nutshell, this series is about being an advocate for your own health, and Inside Tracker is the perfect partner to help us do that. So here's the Inside Tracker scoop. Are you ready? Whether you run, ride, hike, or swim, you understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build endurance, boost energy, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, you'll also unlock real-time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. This is really cool. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash run this world. That's insidetracker.com forward slash run this world for 20% off. Do it. And yes, I will release an episode with my inside tracker experience from start to finish. I've already done one blood draw, gotten the recommendations, learned about my body, studied my metrics and uh, I've been working on things. I'm about to book a follow-up blood draw soon to see how their suggestions improve my metrics. I think they did because I do feel better. All right, that aside, I guess more on that later. <laughs> it's time today to learn more about our hormones and our hormone health. Let's welcome Dr. Anna Lundine. All right, we're rolling. You ready to do this? Ready. (laughs) Ready, Freddie. Anna, thanks for coming over today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, one of the huge benefits of moving to this block is that I swear everybody I go on a dog walk with has some amazing talent that I tend to sort of glom onto (laughs) and try to use for my own purposes, (laughs) evil laugh, ha ha. Um, And your amazing quality is knowing all about women and our bodies and the hormones and the things that make us tick. So I'm I'm
1: certainly doing my best. Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, a while ago, I saw this um, ad for a conference that I actually ended up speaking at as well. And I was looking at the other speakers and they were like, oh, we're going to have this medical group. And Anna Lundin is going to do a talk on
1: how to eat How to eating for your hormones or something like that. Nutrition for your, I can't remember what the title was. Oh my gosh. I know. And I was
0: like, Don must learn more about her. So it's really cool that our kids have become friends and we're having this opportunity. Oh, totally. I know. Well, there's so much. So we were trying to prep for this and I was like, let's just talk about hormones from like the day we're born. And you were like, Nicole, we (laughs) might want to focus a little bit on what the person who's listening might actually want to hear. So What we decided is that we're going to personalize this and we're going to focus on perimenopause years through menopause, postmenopause. We're going to kind of start there. And if we have time at the end and we can talk about puberty or pregnancy or all that good stuff, we will. But um, I think it'd be really cool to... Give like a little bit of a landscape Mm -hmm. for what our hormones are doing when we hit this period of time we call perimenopause. Maybe we just start by talking about what the hell is perimenopause. That's a great place to start because I
1: think defining some of these terms is really helpful. Um, And I think it's important to kind of understand a little bit like when I say perimenopause, I mean the years leading up to menopause. Menopause technically is 12 months since your last period. But what's tricky about that is when you're in this in-between kind of place, or what we might we might call the, the menopausal transition, that time is a little bit nebulous, right? Because you have a period and then you're like, I don't... Was that my last period? I don't like you, you're like. Do I really have to wait a year before I'm like, okay, now I'm menopausal and now I can get help, or can I get help in this in between time? Because I don't know if that was my last period, or maybe I'm going to have another one, or maybe I'm not, or I'm probably it's probably going to hit when you're on vacation, right? Like that's how this time frame yeah. works. Is it's a just a jumbled up chaotic mess. Well, and maybe it's even, I don't know if it's fair to say you
0: don't really know when you sort of entered perimenopause until afterward.
1: 100%. Yeah. And it's sort of like, in retrospect, you're like, oh, maybe my hormones were starting to shift and change. But there's a lot of things that happen in this time, right? So, your hormones may start shifting and changing seven to 10 years before you hit menopause. And menopause, if if it hits early, could hit in your early 40s. Average is 51, but it could go even longer than that. And so when your hormones start to shift and change is a very personal thing for you. And you don't really know necessarily when it's happening. And it's hard to test because every day your hormones change, right? So like, I could do lab tests every day, and every day get different answers. And that paints a different picture depending. And so it is not It is not an exact science and it's really difficult and tricky to sort of figure out where you actually are in the middle of this. You know, one of the
0: things I think that I hear from a lot of people and I myself am included in this group is that there are moments when I'm just, I feel like I'm crazy. Mm. Like... my body or my mind or both in tandem are acting in a way that is unusual for me, and I don't know why. And so as you're talking through this, I mean, part of me is like, well, really, are we just trying to get control of what the symptoms are that we're going through that are making life harder, more miserable for us or the people who love us? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think some some of what... Um, I think that it's important to know sort of what what are some of the things that can happen. What is normal? What, What should get your attention? And I think there's also there's sort of comfort in solidarity. Like the more that we can talk about this and make it so that we don't have to just be like hiding in our houses, wondering what's happening to our bodies... The, the more power, em, empowered women should feel, right, to go ask these questions. It's one of those, like, we've got all kinds of books that we can read to our kids about pre- puberty. And there are lots of things to talk about menopause. But the in-between time, this is sort of like this forgotten time. And there's a lot of other things that are happening in this time, right? Like you're you're raising your family or you're in your career or you're doing a hundred different things. And so there's a lot of reasons that we sort of default to explaining our symptoms, not really asking, well, what else is happening inside? You know? Oh my gosh. Okay. So Well, what is happening inside? Can you take us through some of this Let's talk about what's happening inside. Yeah. (laughs) And I do want to say too, so we are talking about women who were born with ovaries, right? So like if if you are a trans woman, there are lots of different kinds of women. You may be on different kinds of hormones. And so I just want to sort of state that, that like right now I'm going to talk about people who have ovaries who are... Going through this transition, I don't want to feel like anybody is like left out. So, anyway,
0: no, that's a little, actually yeah. a really good point because our world is changing every freaking day,
1: right? And, and, um, and there is a lot more information and research that needs to be done, and a lot more information that we need to have available for our trans community. And that is not necessarily what I'm gonna talk about today, so that just to be clear on that. Disclaimer noted. <laughs> yes, thank you. Okay, so the reality is, as, as most people know, but we're just gonna state it again, we are born with all of our eggs, right? So in utero, when you're growing in your mom's belly or whatever, that's the number of eggs you have. And it's like 300-ish thousand, lots, plenty of plenty of eggs. And so when we are going through our cycling lives and we are- those are, they're called follicles. We're like getting ready to get pregnant every month and the follicles are forming and the eggs are releasing. We're slowly eating through the eggs that we were given. As we get older and there are fewer and fewer to choose from, it becomes a little bit harder for our bodies to sort of select the best egg. So, we get a little squirrely. Like we might release lots of eggs and hoping that like we find the right one. We might try to release eggs and not really successfully release eggs. And so the hormone production that's happening in our ovaries is not as consistent. So instead of this nice little like up and down and we've got a rhythm, it's like... I don't know. Chaos. Just chaos. chaos.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm sitting here going, god, I'm probably releasing like 50,000 eggs today right now <laughs> right because my period's doing some weird things these days. And so I think that's what you're yes, alluding to is exactly. like you know, many of us track our periods on apps now. Where were those 20 years ago? Uh, you had to use but- a calendar. <laughs> Did, but who did that? I didn't. But but yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the first signs is that all of a sudden you're like, wait, my period didn't come 28
1: days later. Exactly. And so if you are somebody who is lucky enough to have gone through your cycling life with a 28 day period, right? Like every 28 days, you can set your clock to it. One of the first things that you may notice is that now it's at 21 days, and then next month it's like a week late, and you're like, What's happening? And that's sort of usually an early sign that your hormones are not maybe as robust, maybe we'll say, as they were a year ago or whenever your cycle was normal. And it's not consistent. And so you might have a short cycle, and then you might go back to normal. And there are a lot of things that impact that some of which are in our control and some of which are not.
0: Okay. So we talked about the eggs and how that journey evolves. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about the actual hormones that you keep mentioning?
1: Yeah. 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 So three big hormones that, that I think about for women, estrogen and progesterone are the two most common that we refer to. Estrogen is um, released by the ovary and kind of gets that egg to develop and release. And then progesterone is what is left after the ovary leaves the egg. And that sort of helps keep the lining of our uterus nice and stable and healthy and happy until implantation or lack thereof. And then everything kind of falls away and we have a period. Um, the other one that comes up that I think is important to know is DHEA and testosterone. So, so DHEA is a hormone that turns into, or we metabolize into testosterone. DHEA comes mainly from our adrenal glands. Um, our adrenal glands ex- live right on top of our kidneys, and they are predominantly responsible for our stress response. So when we talk about stress and cortisol and epinephrine and norepinephrine that comes from our adrenal glands, they also make this DHEA. And because we are so focused on estrogen and progesterone, I think we forget that women also have testosterone, need testosterone. And there are two big changes that happen, usually starting in our 30s, depending on the person, like mid 30s to 40s, progesterone starts to fall and DHEA starts to fall. And that's just biologically normal, but it does, you feel that. Right. You feel that. So, like, are we
0: trying to keep our progesterone higher and our testosterone up, or are we,
1: do we need to just let it do what it's doing? <laughs> so, the, I think the answer is to me, it depends. So, As these things happen naturally, you know, there's a large percentage of women who really don't feel bad in the process of perimenopause and into menopause. And and it's about a quarter of people who are who like, like, I don't know, one day my period's just stopped and that's it. And like that's great. So if that's you, (laughs) awesome, awesome, right? But that leaves the other kind of 75% of us who are like, Mm -hmm. what is happening to my body? And so um, in focusing on, I'm going to focus on progesterone first. Progesterone, I think of as a calming hormone. As progesterone falls, sometimes people notice a little bit more anxiety, a little bit more difficulty with sleep, Um, and also unstable bleeding patterns. And oftentimes I see it as a shortened cycle. So instead of 28 days, I'm at like 21 or 22. And it's like, I don't really want to have a period every three weeks or whatever. So you're like bleeding more. So yeah, that, that uterine lining is not as stable because your progesterone isn't quite as robust. There's not a ton that we can do to improve progesterone production because it is, it doesn't really, it's not really produced from a lot of other places besides the ovaries. And so progesterone is one of those things that sometimes I'm still a huge fan of like, let's get nutrition, right? Let's talk about stress. I mean, all of these things are influenced by that, but there may come a point where sometimes you just need a little progesterone. And so sometimes I do supplement with progesterone, um, And, and, and I think it helps. It helps with sleep. It helps with anxiety. Some of those things that you're just, it's just uncomfortable, you know? Yes. Okay. Can I go down a a little
0: rabbit hole? Oh, let's do it. I love rabbit holes. I love rabbit holes too. So I have realized that in the last maybe five or so years, and this is also, I know diet impacted personally, but I am, uh, my iron's really low Mm. and I got my iron, I was getting sick all the time. This is maybe five years ago. Granted, I had gone on a 100% plant diet for a couple years. The honeymoon was over. I wasn't feeling great. My energy was bad, but I was getting sick a lot. Mm. And I finally got it tested. And the one that I remember is ferritin, which I think is a pretty solid iron. It's it, it's an indication of your iron
1: storage. So okay. it's what's left in the tank. Yeah. So it was, was it like zero. It was four. Yeah, that's pretty low. And <laughs> like my doctor, though, this is what annoyed
0: me is my doctor just called me and was like, oh, your blood works all fine. And I said, well, can you send it to me? Because I like to see it. Well, of course, I look at ferritin. I go, Tim, I th- I think four is kind of low, but it says the range is three to 100 or something. And I'm like, as an active woman, who's not feeling great. So I just took it upon myself to supplement. And then I started feeling better and I stopped getting sick. And my iron got up to maybe 25 or so. It wasn't awesome, but still way better. And I think that, you know, those, here's the thing is, um, Well, wait, really quick. The reason that I even bring this up is because I'm like, is it have to do with my period changing with the fact that I'm anything that could this have to do with my hormones at all, or the fact that I'm bleeding more,
1: it's heavier. Like a hundred percent. Yeah. When I see low iron in a woman, I don't actually jump to nutrition, although that's part of the conversation. But to me, that means they're, bleeding too much and they can't keep up. So, yes, absolutely. There is a point where if your periods are super heavy, you're like, I don't care if you eat meat or you don't, I mean, you just can't keep up. And there are times when really like modern medicine, you know, exists for a reason. And there are things that we can do to help with that. Things like Um, progesterone only IUDs, which are super safe and help reduce your bleeding. And, you know, towards the end of your menstruating ages can really help supplement some of that progesterone that you're missing anyway. I've never heard of that. Oh yeah. I only knew there was the Mirena and the the copper. Yep. The Mirena is a progesterone only. So from a safety standpoint, it's low risk. It's safe if you have migraine headaches and all of the contraindications that we have for like the birth control pill sort of go out the window when it comes to progesterone-only IUDs. So, the only reason that I would not consider putting a progesterone-only IUD in place is if you've had breast cancer before wow. that was progesterone-fed. So. so, I think part of the frustration here is that many doctors, not
0: including you, yay, okay. Um <laughs> don't necessarily put things together like this incident of having low iron with entering perimenopausal years, et cetera. And so you're left to treat yourself and figure it out.
1: It's so true. And what's tough too, is that these ranges that we have for labs, I think there is the quote unquote normal range. So that range of three to a hundred, like That's a crazy big range. Lots of people are going to fall within that that aren't what I would say ideal. And so I like to talk to people about an ideal range. I'm going to use vitamin D as an example because we're in Colorado where everybody thinks it's sunny all the time and we're going to get plenty of vitamin D and we don't get vitamin low vitamin D is one of the number one things I see every single day in Colorado. And What's tricky is the range for that is similar. It's thirty to hundred. That's it's that's. So if you're walking around and your and your vitamin D is thirty, that's too low because tomorrow you're going to be twenty nine and the next day, you know. I mean, so my ideal range for that is sixty to eighty. And if I don't have people in that range, I supplement them because they're not going to get it. Otherwise, okay. so ferritin is a similar one. I I wouldn't want you at four. Like twenty five is better, but I I'd, I'd like to see you closer to forty. Um, Yay, let's yeah. do
0: that, right? Okay, so, wait. Vitamin D. I have to tell you something. Yeah. So not too long ago, I posted something on Facebook, and I was like, just getting my vitamin D, and I was like out for doing something outside, active, and somebody wrote and said, I love that you think that, Nicole, but you you actually don't get vitamin d from the sun at and it was like latitude and because longitude. of our latitude okay. exactly okay. so
1: for, <laughs> you know it's it's just the the angle that the sun hits our skin or the well really the angle that the sun hits the earth as far north as we are. So therefore, for all you listeners out there, if you're north of Colorado, you're not getting your vitamin D either. Um, We don't convert in our skin efficiently. So I'm not going to say it's zero, but it's, but unless you're spending large periods of time in some other more southerly place, plus we're all worried about wrinkles and we're all worried about skin cancer, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. So when we put sunscreen on, we're not getting our vitamin D and vitamin D. I mean, talking about hormones, vitamin D is really important for healthy metabolism of hormones, immune function, bone health, which is a big part of as we age, trying to keep ourselves healthy. And so vitamin D I in Colorado, I think everybody should be taking a supplement. Um, good. Cause I'm on one now. Thank Perfect. you. you but,
0: um, actually a double rabbit hole is that I heard vitamin D can help with like not getting COVID or helping it's, with symptoms. Yes.
1: It's actually one of the early things that they started to study. Cause we were trying to figure out why people were getting so sick. And one of the things that they noticed is if your vitamin D was low, your risk of getting sicker was much higher. Um, and that just goes to the immune function piece of how vitamin D helps with that. Well, and it's crazy because we, most people listening
0: are not trying to be unhealthy.
1: Of course. We're trying to
0: be healthy. That's why we're listening. And we're trying to learn and understand what's going on. But you know, sometimes you can do all the things you think you need to do and your numbers still don't come back in a range that, you know, is ideal mm-hmm. or optimal. And so here we are, you know, learning, oh, I need to supplement this, that, or whatever. I recently, I actually, one of our sponsors today is Inside Tracker and they are such a cool company. They do mobile blood draws, which I actually had done from my home here in Steamboat one morning. And the hardest part about it was not having coffee till like eight fifteen when he left. I was like, oh my god, I can't believe I can't have my coffee. But um, but you can also go to their uh, any of their designated labs and get your blood drawn, and it's cool because. What I love about it is that we're taking our health into our own hands by in, in this case going on the inside tracker site and choosing what package what markers you want them to do to mm-hmm. do. Exactly. And um, what I found is that I really thought I had a really good vitamin D mm-hmm. and I think it was like 38. You know, yeah. I mean, so you got I was work to do. I got some work to do. Work to do. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And so those of us who are like, oh, I'm probably perfectly healthy in every other way, except for whatever's going on with my, you know, uh,
1: female hormones, I would say, look at the whole picture. And that's, you know, I mean, I think the thing too, that I think of is hormones, hormones are chemicals in our body that communicate. So, they float around in our our bloodstream and they tell all the different organs where, where we're at. But they do so in response to their environment, right? And so, the brain is involved, our sex organs are involved, but the biggest thing of all is our gut and our level of inflammation. And those those pieces for me as a functional medicine thinker, those come first. So I think, okay, our hormones are doing X, Y, and Z. Why? Why are they acting that way? If they're not behaving 100% normally, what might be telling them to do that, right? Because they're doing that in response to something. Um, And I think it's important to look at the whole picture, like you said. So for example, stress. I hate to say it because we all know we have it. And sometimes it's better to just leave it alone. But why is that? Why why is it better to leave it alone? It's (laughs) not. That's the thing. It's like poking the bear. I know, but it's like, don't. Um, So I think my patients, when they come to see me at the health center, they get really tired of me asking them about their stress because they're like, look, I'm here because of my hormones. Like, (laughs) yes, but when we have stress, stress, first of all makes it harder for us to digest our food. We're not getting the nutrients that we think we are. Like we're eating, even if we're eating perfectly, we're not maybe digesting our food the way that we think we are. Um, Stress leads to inflammation. And in our adrenal glands, it makes us spit out all this cortisol. Cortisol does a couple of things. One, it takes away from our adrenal glands ability to make DHEA so our testosterone goes down. um, Two, cortisol increases insulin. Insulin is a hormone. Insulin is a driver for poor eating. So like when our insulin goes up, we crave sugar, we eat poorly, then we get more insulin. And when our insulin is high, our ratio of progesterone to, to Estrogen goes out the window, and so all of a sudden, we have more estrogen than we should compared to how much progesterone we have, and we enter this state that looks like estrogen dominance. That's the word that I use. It's it's a it's a state where um, our periods go crazy. We feel like we are gaining weight in our middle and we can't lose it. Um, We feel sometimes flushed, sometimes um, irritable, angry, anxious, depressed. Bitchy. Bitchy, (laughs) out of control, (laughs) and um, not at ease. And when we really kind of break that down, when we take stress away Our bodies are amazing. Our bodies know what to do until we push them to the point where they can't function anymore. Okay, so it's like
0: great. Let's just take away our stress. Oh, right. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> and and it's like I keep thinking of stress. First of all, I thought of the estrogen dominance as like maleficent. <laughs> she like rises up <laughs> out of us and she's
1: It can feel like
0: that. Very goth looking mm-hmm. and scary. Um but you know, stress can be physical, it can be emotional, yeah. sometimes both. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think that um, I am not here to tell you that stress is going away. It's not. Um, I think it's just important to know that it does have an impact on your health. And so we are all shouldering a lot. And I think that's why this is so good to just talk about, right? Because if you know that you're not alone, every single person with ovaries goes through some version of what we're talking about at different states in time. And you'll if you think back, think about a time when you don't feel like you were under stress. What was it like? What, what did you feel like in that moment? How do you feel when you're under lots of stress? And then you can kind of start to see those patterns and everybody will be at different extremes. Um, so instead of saying that stress can go away, we can work on reducing its impact and reducing some of that like the insulin response like there's food things that you can do as well to sort of manage the after effects of stress oh. right so like one of the things that I feel like happens I I like to picture ourselves as like a uh like a I keep wanting to say oxen like some <laughs> some workhorse where we've got um this, We've got buckets coming off of sticks all around our body. Okay. we've got our nutrition bucket over here, and we've got our movement bucket, and we've got sleep, and then we've got our social relationships, and we've got stress. And if all of that is in balance, you're standing tall and proud, and you're feeling really good. And then... Stress starts to get a little overfull and it starts to pull you backwards. And then what ends up happening is you pour out of your nutrition bucket. You start eating garbage and then you don't feel like exercising. And so you lose a little bit of movement and then you lose sleep because you're anxious and irritable because you just ate garbage and you stopped moving. And then you withdraw from your friends and your family. And now stress wins, right? So now stress has pulled you over and you're on the floor and you don't know how to get up. And so I think what I tell people is when it comes to stress, I just want you to know what your reaction is. So like myself, I know the minute I come home from work and I'm like, where's the chocolate? That's my sign that I've had too much stress. And instead of pouring into that chocolate and skipping the gym the next day, I'm going to do the opposite and I'm going to do something kind to my body and I'm going to go for a walk. Because if I pour into those buckets, I can offset a little bit the pull that I'm getting from stress. You know, I love this idea too. Of it's Maybe this is just it.
0: Just go for a walk. Yeah. Just go for a walk. Whenever you feel like the pull to those other buckets is coming Mm -hmm. because we're also pretty, um, driven people in general. And so when we go often, many of us go all in. So we go all into the chocolate bucket, you know, (laughs) or, or we think, okay, I can't let stress win. So I'm going to go do this massive hard workout when that's too intimidating. So
1: just, and, or it's another stress, right? So I do think that we have to remember that you can, you can overstress physically, you can overstress mentally. um, And sometimes you just have to be kind to yourself. So I realize it feels like maybe we took a little diversion from hormones. But I think one of the things that happens in the perimenopause years to me is that you are woman, you are shouldering more. Life has gotten more complicated. So we're not in our teens and 20s where like we just get to go hang out with our friends and pretend like the world doesn't exist, right? We have bills and mortgages and responsibilities and you might have kids and you're shuttling them around and you forgot to pack your lunch. And so you've grabbed an extra cup of coffee. We haven't even talked about caffeine and alcohol, but we should. And you're running, you're burning that candle from both ends, right? And so now your stress looks different. Your ability to cope looks different. The time you have in the day looks different. And your hormones are changing. That's a lot. That's a Um, lot. I don't want to talk about coffee (laughs) because I I don't
0: want to change my coffee habit. Um, No, it is so much. It's so, so much. And I think... All we really need to do is get some knowledge. Yeah. And every day is not going to be perfect. But if we can pull one little tool out of our new tool shed, then that's great. So let's just let's do that really quick. Let's let's take a a sidetrack here and talk alcohol and caffeine. Okay,
1: so first of all, I want to say that there are big genetic variations in people. Right. And so there are. There are plenty of people who can successfully drink alcohol without feeling sick the next day and drink coffee and go to bed at night and not feel like it's disrupting your sleep. So that's awesome. I also think that there is a strange, and I think COVID sort of added to it. There is a strange normalization in large amounts of both of these things that isn't really healthy and it isn't really normal um and i think we've sort of lost our way as to like what is normal so i am not going to take away your coffee and i am not going to take away your wine but i think it's important to know what it can be doing in your body so let's talk about caffeine first because that's how i start my day you you came in today i was like do you want a coffee yeah and i and i personally have learned about myself that for better or worse, genetically, I do not metabolize caffeine very well and I do not metabolize alcohol very well. And that's a bummer, but at least I know. So there is a, you know, how do you know that? Um, I, I actually did some genetic markers on myself. And so this is, this is out there. There are genetic markers that will look for specific mutations that will tell you how well you, do or do not metabolize these things. Um, but it's not necessary to, to do that. I think you can also just sort of get in touch with your insides and figure this out. Yeah, but what if you're curious? So how, yeah, if how you're, do you do that? So if you're curious, so first of all, I will say um, there is a company called Pure Genomics. Um, it's a branch, I believe, of Pure Encapsulations who, um, if you have ever done... Uh, what is it, 23andMe or Ancestry, I think, any of those things where you have submitted DNA for other type of testing, Pure Genomics can actually pull some of these mutations for free. Whoa. I know, it's a little crazy trick. And I don't, you know, I have like as a medical provider, access to that, I'm assuming that that's something that you can sign. But if not, I guess, reach out to me and we'll chat. Um, There are other labs who will do genetic panels for things like this as well. Um, So in general, when you drink caffeine, it, it has a chemical reaction in your body where it can and this again is more based on how well you metabolize it. Increase your cortisol. We've already talked about the downstream effects of cortisol, but you know, cortisol increases stress. And so if you feel like you're leaning on coffee or caffeine because you literally cannot function, we need to work on sleep and restoration and stress because it should be something that you do because you enjoy. If you're not sleeping at night, you may be drinking too much caffeine. The half life of Caffeine is long, so most people who have a cup of coffee at eight in the morning still have about a quarter of that caffeine in their system when they go to bed at night. Whoa! Yeah, and so if you're drinking coffee throughout the day and into the afternoon, there's a really good chance that that's interfering with your sleep. And I think it—you know—if your sleep is awesome and you feel like it's not awesome, like I said, you don't have to make any changes based on this. But it's just good to realize that it really it is in your body. Um. Alcohol, the bottom line is alcohol increases estrogen. So alcohol has some um, metabolic effects in your body beyond just the fact that it it sort of breaks down like sugar. It actually changes the way that you metabolize food for the time that you're detoxifying it. The other thing is it goes through your liver. So you have to detox alcohol through your liver. You also detox estrogen through your liver. Hmm. So If your liver is busy detoxing other things, you're not probably detoxifying your hormones the way that you need to. So that can lead to a bump in estrogen. And depending on what kind of hormone issues you're dealing with, you may not need more of that. Wow, this is so
0: interesting. So back in the day, I did copious amounts of alcohol and caffeine, Mm. and I remember I was probably like thirty when I started to towards the end of my drinking career. um, (laughs) Because if you've listened to my podcast, you all know I've been sober for like fifteen years now, right? And Anna, of course, you know that because you you always offer me seltzer, which is so nice um, at at our neighborhood gatherings. But um, basically, I would realize at the end of the day, I would feel like my heart was skipping beats. Like I was having almost like arrhythmias, little heart kind of and I, and palpitations. I, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I would notice that if I had both alcohol and caffeine in higher than normal doses in a day, Yeah, um, that was, you know, just one of many signs that it <laughs> that was, it was time for a change. <laughs> it was time for a change, you know, and, and hey, we all have things in our lives that we use to cope, whatever they are. And some of them have a more genetic or biological impact than others. But when I quit drinking, I um, my my caffeine intake probably went up a little, but I felt like I did it in a way that was less risky like I would go out in the early you know many years ago I would go out and get like the quad shot Americano and follow it up with another espresso chaser and you know it was like it was like I was drinking caffeine to get caffeine drunk
1: yeah like like you had something to prove yes (laughs) So, well, and like you said, sometimes more intense people we go all in. I, do. I did the same thing in <laughs> in residency and it's really only recently that I have kind of decided that sleep is more important than Feeling like I have superpowers in the morning Like I don't um, So yeah Yeah because we start to
0: take a strange Pride In doing these things that are not healthy Like oh I you know I got four Hours sleep last night so uh, I know. I You know.
1: know I'm wonder Woman when you're actually when not. Really or, under the surface of your Skin oh. your cortisol Is freaking out <laughs> you know um, And that's not good for you. Well, and I think we condition our bodies.
0: So a little bit of conditioning, but also we just get used to feeling a certain way. Right. So you may be walking around going, I feel pretty good, but you don't know what really good feels like because you've never tried it. Right. Oh my gosh. Okay. So our goal is to help women as they're going through this menopause transition in their lives to actually feel really good Even with symptoms that
1: sometimes tell them otherwise. Yes. And I will say, you know, during the menopausal transition, so like those years when your hormones really are all over the place, if you're able to really work on not I'm not going to say getting rid of caffeine, but keeping caffeine and alcohol at a reasonable, reasonable volume, reasonable amount like keeping your sugar intake pretty low and keeping that insulin level nice and stable that looks like lots of protein not really low fat but more protein fat lower carb and um and managing your stress as best bless you as you can um that that looks like more good days i'm not gonna say that even if you eat perfectly and move perfectly and do all of this perfectly, that your periods are going to be regular. That's just nonsense because you're still going through a transitional time. Um, If you are getting to the point where you're like, I'm doing all this and I'm still feeling like garbage. I think it's worth having a conversation with your doctor. And I think what's tough is that not all doctors Kind of understand what this time looks like, feels like. And for better or worse, you guys, we live in a world where women are often seen in the medical world as needy or hysterical, or we're just told to buck up and deal. Now, if you are a man and you have erectile dysfunction and you walk into the office, five minutes later, you got prescriptions for Viagra, Cialis, whatever you want. And everybody's like, oh, you poor thing. But for women... When we go in and we're like, I feel like I'm crazy and I'm losing my mind and I can't stand my husband anymore, <laughs> whatever it is, you'll get labs done and then people will say, I don't know, looks normal. And then you'll be offered an antidepressant. This is why I got into functional medicine because I was like, God, like, there's got to be something else besides Prozac or a birth control pill when I feel depressed and i don't want to function for two weeks out of the month like why 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 are are these our answers um this is insane and
0: so true i mean you're lucky if you do have a doctor who who does understand, who does want to try to help you and does take you through the spectrum of like, here's some natural things you can do, you know, all the way up to here's hormone replacement therapy and all of those things. Um, But so many people don't. And so, okay, a couple questions. I'm going to backtrack for a second. I want to get to the question of how do you figure out what doctor is the right doctor? Yeah. But what I want to ask you first is, why are you even going to, like, why do people come to you in the first place? What do they tell you? What is their problem or their
1: biggest symptom? The Okay, so I would say a couple of things that people come to me talking about. First of all, um, irregular periods. So I would say the woman who goes from my cycle is perfect, 28 days, I can, I can set my clock to it to, like, I've missed one, or it came early, or now I'm bleeding twice a month. So, irregular bleeding is probably the most common thing that I see in this transitional phase. Um, And then the other one is more vague. So, I see a lot of people complaining of fatigue, sleep, insomnia, um, irritability or mood changes, but not depression. So, it's like, They may think, "Well, am I depressed?" Like they're they're asking those questions, but they don't technically meet criteria for full-on depression. They're just sort of struggling with not feeling well. Not feeling like themselves Not feeling like themselves Exactly And I'll tell you one of my big things Mm. I
0: can't think of words Yeah And it reminded me Focus and memory Yeah It's like when I had mommy brain Mm -hmm. You know when you first have a baby And some people out there listening have And you'll relate Because you'll wake up And you'll be like Can you go get that thing in the uh, It's the box by the wall That's cold And there's food in it And you open the door And that thing in there Like you can't even think of the word fridge Totally Right. And that happened and it went away for a while, but it's back. Mm-hmm. So is that part
1: of that? That can be that totally can be I want um, it to be. The, yeah. Yeah. No, it totally can be because th- these are communicating molecules that float around in our bodies and they impact our brains and estrogen and progesterone. I mean, we will get to hormone replacement after menopause in a second, I imagine, but um, one of the kind of pros for thinking about, at least in the early years of menopause, replacing hormones for a lot of women is memory and focus. And, you know, this is for a lot of people, one of our most productive times in our life. And it's really hard to be maintaining that same level of productivity when you feel like your body's not doing the things it's supposed to be doing. And your mind. And your mind. Both. Oh my gosh.
0: So we know why, like we're having symptoms that could be symptoms, but don't feel like symptoms. And then the general thing is, I don't feel like myself. Yes. And so people go to their doctor, they go to you or they go to their doctor. How do they know if that doctor is going to actually be able to help them.
1: So, you know, for some, you know, if you have a primary care doctor that you know and trust, then you just know, right. Because you've had experience and you've met. Um, there is a, you know, i like, Trying to figure out how to help people navigate this because the answer is you might have to try a few on. So this is the really tricky thing is it's not like you get to interview your doctor before you see them, right? You just make an appointment. So this is why women need to talk to each other. We need to talk about what's happening to our bodies because you're not alone. All your sisters and friends and everybody is going through this at some, they're at some stage of this, right? And they all have doctors too. And so some of it is word of mouth. Um, there is a society for menopause and now I'm like blanking. So maybe we can include it in the Mm -hmm. notes. Um, so there are some doctors who will be sort of like certified through that. And that's not a bad thing to look for because at least they're up on the latest guidelines of what the studies say you can, can't, and should, shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the real thing is, you need to have somebody that you feel you're going to be talking about, not just hormones, but sex and things that are important to feel open about. You don't want to hide anything. The other thing I would do is, you know, have a little bit of a framework in your mind of what you might be asking for, and, and this is partly because the reality of our modern medical world is that you have very little time with your doctor. And I. As a doctor, hate this. I hate it. I hate it. Um, So, in the health center that I work at for um, at part time, I have on average about ten minutes to spend with my patients, and that sucks because I really like to get to know people. This is a, a serious thing that they are bringing to my attention, and I don't ever feel like I have enough time to appropriately dive deep. And so, what ends up happening is I spend the time, and then I'm late. So if you come to see me in the office, you're going to (laughs) wait. Exactly. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, What I would recommend though is have a list because one of the things that happens is you go into the doctor's office and whether they're putting the pressure on you or not, it feels like time pressure, right? So you're, you're stuck feeling like you, you don't, you got to rush. So have everything written down and let them know from the beginning, I have everything listed out. So they can't blow it off, okay? Um, and then ask from the beginning, are you comfortable managing hormones in the menopausal transition? Because hopefully people know their limitations and they'll be able to say, yes, no, maybe, let's see what's going on. You know, right. Would you say that, well, we also have insurance
0: to deal with, which sucks, but let's pretend, since I don't know anything about that world, let's just forget about insurance for a minute and pretend you can go to any doctor you want to, because you really can if you pay for it, probably Um, out of pocket, that is.
1: Well, (laughs) and that's the, I mean, you know, I am such a firm believer that everybody has a right to medical care and we should have access to care. And um, I don't want <laughs> to <Specialized laughs> insult your listeners, care. but I don't really care how you feel about it. It's just, <laughs> it needs to be a right, you guys, it needs to be a right. And so it really does suck. Like even thinking about specialty lab testing and stuff like that, not everybody can do that. Right. Well, and, and that, that, so I hope yeah. that this reaches some women who maybe don't have Access and they at least can start to understand a little bit what's happening in their bodies. Yes, for sure, know.
0: for sure. Because I would say maybe one of the benefits of COVID, if that is a term we can use, is that we've realized we can do a lot of visits like this virtually. Yes, and so people don't wouldn't have to come and using you for example uh, visit you in person. You can do a lot of this stuff on the phone if they have their you know on Zoom whatever have their list. They're going to. Use their time productively You're going to have more time to spend with them We are going to talk through it Yes, and you're going to be able to order tests And get all the information
1: you need Without seeing them in person A lot of times that's true If you have like specific If there's bleeding concerns If you have, you know vaginal concerns that really need an exam, I'm, yeah. I'm never going to hesitate to tell you to get your butt in the office. So, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. So I think that's actually pretty cool. Um,
0: I will say it is frustrating. I'm going to go on another funny rabbit hole, but I recently found out that I could do the poop in the box instead of the full on colonoscopy. Right, it's called (laughs) Colagard, right? I don't know how you feel about it, but, um, but I so I did it and I called all and had this whole list of things to ask my insurance, and sure enough, they would love to help me out, except that the lab that Colagard uses is not covered by my insurance, not a network or whatever. No, and so I ended up having to pay. It's like six hundred dollars, but then I thought I'd rather pay that than I would. You know, that then have the experience of the colonoscopy, which I don't really want to have if I don't have to yet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's nice that these things exist. It's up to us to decide, are we going to have another vacation this year or am I going to poop in a box and pay for it? No, I'm healthy.
1: You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. (laughs) It, It is. And I think there are times when your symptoms or your health get your attention and sort of say... Uh, This is the priority, right? And then there are times when you can kind of choose. And so I think when you get to a point where you're like, something's got to give, I don't feel right. That's when it's time to write some things down and kind of get those ducks in a row and have a conversation with your doctor. And then you have a right to say, if you don't feel comfortable with this, um, cause you know, worst case scenario, they do a bunch of testing. They say you're normal and then you still feel like, okay, so am I just crazy? You're probably not crazy. You're probably not crazy, but whatever testing they did, wasn't what you needed and something's still out of whack. And so you have a right to say, if this is not your area of expertise, can you refer me to somebody who does more work around this? er, perimenopausal time.
0: And do you ever find that doctors' egos might get in the way and they're like, no, I'm perfectly great to treat you on this. And then you have to just make it happen. Uh, Yeah.
1: And if that happens, you know, sayonara. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: I think that's like, if you are having an interaction with a physician and for all you physicians out there, bless your hearts. But if you think you're God, you're not. There's so much that we don't know. And If you have a doctor who's not willing to admit what they don't know, that's not the right person for you. We don't know a lot of stuff. And everything that I'm saying now is true to the best of my knowledge, but it might change tomorrow. Look at COVID. I mean, geez louise, how many different directions have we gone with that? So, Okay. This could be a controversial question I just thought (laughs) of,
0: but I, in my mind, I'm like, I don't want a guy doctor to help mm-hmm. me through this because how could he ever know what I'm going through? So how do you feel about that? <laughs> are you there know, men I really? There that are, are that are
1: solid? There <laughs> are. And um, <laughs> I always had felt kind of mixed about that. Um, but I worked with an OBGYN, a male OBGYN um, in Craig, where I work a couple days a week. Um, and he was just the most wonderful, kindest, I mean, I could trust him with absolutely any women's health thing and he just got it. And and so I do think to me, it is more about that physician's experience and comfort in the area that you're looking for and your relationship with them, right? Like you really have to be able to sit there and feel completely comfortable opening up about really personal things.
0: I think that is so key because not only are we becoming advocates for our own health, we, we're we becoming advocates for our mental health ourselves. Like we have to know who we are in order to do that and and yes. then you've got to be able to be transparent mm-hmm. so okay so people are listening they're like all right we know we're we're feeling weird we're feeling crazy we're having symptoms we got to find the doctor we might have to try a few doctors that's just that the nature may be, of it and the, yeah
1: and i really hope that we will get to a place where women are not seen as less than I'm not sure if that's fair to say, but, and, and, and I will tell you too, as a woman physician, it is not just men who do that. This is how physicians are trained. It is a part of the culture of training doctors that somehow women's issues and it's like statistically proven women are seen to be able to handle more pain. They are seen to be able to shoulder things differently than men. And that's just the way it is. Well I hope To be like, a part of the change you It's know? like a
0: Backhanded compliment I
1: like. guess <laughs> Until <laughs> so, you don't want to Buck up and deal Because you've got things to do And you feel like garbage And then it would be nice If somebody would listen So
0: Okay so there's a topic That was brought up Earlier A long time ago now Because we've been having fun today We're going to keep going For a little bit Yeah you okay with that? Yeah um, That I know Our listeners Want me to talk about Which is when you mentioned um, there are things we can do nutritionally yes. to help us in this, you know, stage. So, can we talk a little bit about that? Oh, a hundred percent.
1: Yeah, okay. we talk about food all day. Um, I love it. So, the goals with nutrition in my, from my perspective, are to ke- the biggest one is to keep your insulin level stable. So, when your insulin level is going up and down, that will feel like rises and falls in energy or rises and falls in cravings. So if you have periods of time during the day where you're like, oh my gosh, I would kill for a donut or something sugary or something carby, then you may be on that insulin roller coaster a little bit. So in order to stabilize your insulin level, the first thing that has to be worked on is sugar. And that sucks sorry um so we're looking at really low sugar so when i'm starting to work with somebody whose hormones are all over the place and this uh, the, the other thing i will say is this is throughout all areas of your life this starts from birth all the way till death okay so it doesn't matter if you are dealing with infertility or fibroids or menopause this this is true so um so sugar goes away sorry um, we're looking at kind of like a Mediterranean style diet. So it ends up being high protein, higher fat than I would say higher healthy fat and pretty low sugar. Not this is not paleo. This is not like I'm not saying no sugar or no carbs or no grains. Um, but my my perfect day looks like um about and this will be different by age and, um, a little bit by, um, activity levels, but somewhere in the like 60 to 120 grams of protein a day. It's a lot of protein, high protein starting in the morning or whenever you have your first meal. So you're going to hit that protein hard. I want, I like to have people have at least half of their protein in by lunch, by noon, um, good healthy fats. So fish, coconut, avocado, olive oil, like healthy, healthy fats, six to nine veggies a day, one or two fruits a day, and then one or two grains a day, preferably like we're going to avoid processed food because yuck, we're going to avoid, I know, I know, we're going to avoid sugar. We're going to avoid, um, you know, basically everything that you look at and you're like, wow, that looks really good. It's probably bad for you.
0: This is so funny. Do you remember when we were on a dog walk the other day and I had a thing of goldfish? Because <laughs> Wilder was with us too, and uh, I was like, "Hey, do you wanna uh, do you want a little processed food snack?" And you were like, "Now that you said it like that, no." You know, and <laughs> exactly. our other friend was like, "I will take one." Yeah. Um. But and and that also makes me think. My gosh, we're letting
1: our kids eat that stuff. It, yeah, and that's a whole I another. I know it. that's Jeez. a whole other topic. So. Yeah, the other thing that we haven't talked about, but I think it's important to mention when I think about uh, hormones, I think about sort of four phases. So I think about where the hormones are produced, how they're produced and optimizing production. I think about how they move around in our bodies, which is where that like protein comes from. They move around in our bodies through protein. Um, I think about how sensitive we are to the hormones. And then I think about detoxification, when it comes to sensitivity, the thing that we haven't talked about is that we are exposed to hormones, whether we want to or not, um, through external sources. So if you are stuck, f- sort of, if you're eating lots of meats that are sort of naturally, or not naturally, um, In coming from like the agricultural machine that is the way that we produce meat in our country, those may be loaded with hormones. If you are eating or if you're really heavy in the dairy department, oftentimes we're getting our dairy from cows who are still pregnant. So they have lots and lots of exogenous hormones in that milk that then you're consuming. And all of that has an impact on our. Bodies. And so when I'm, if I'm really working with somebody one on one who's like, I got to get my hormones under control. Things like dairy have to go away because it's really hard to source it in a way that isn't loaded with hormones.
0: So, I mean, all that makes sense. And one big thing is that people often think, oh, don't take away my sugar. Don't take away my cheese. Don't take away my bacon, you know? Yeah. But the truth is, and I know this from experimenting with tons of different, you know, eating philosophies over the years. Mm food can taste amazing yeah. and you can find things that you love and you will come to crave that
1: are super healthy for your body. Yes. The other thing that I think is interesting and it it made me both like understand and also really sad at the same time. So when you eat things like um gluten and dairy, we actually have they have um an opioid-like chemical that has an impact on our brain. And so There's a reason that you have a piece of cheese and you're just like, oh, so good. (laughs) Right? There's a reason. There's a chemical reaction that's happening in your body that is like, that was amazing. Because you got like a little hit of morphine. Yeah. (laughs) It's not morphine. It's not morphine, but like... No, we have the Same idea. And so um, when you make drastic changes. When I, when I work with people on hormones, I do ask that of them. Like if you're, if you're, I'm, I'm one of those people that like, I am 100% behind you and I will work with you, but you've got to, you got to promise to pull your weight. Right. And so if we're going to get down and dirty on hormones, like we're going to talk real seriously about nutrition and it's, it's not going to be easy, but it is going to be worth it.
0: Yeah. So. Yes. Okay, so we're about to get to uh, actually talking about hormones, hormone replacement, I mean, but I want to I want to hit on one more topic that will lead into it, which is something that m- many of us in- indulged in and may still, which is sex. <laughs>
1: yes, let's talk about sex.
0: <laughs> and you know, I think at the heart of it, like I want to be a sexual
1: being my whole life, right? And there's no reason that You shouldn't be But it is important To kind of understand What happens Yeah And you know A friend of mine Recently went to her
0: doctor Who was so funny She was basically like Well your vagina is closing up. I mean, that's kind of like how my friend described how how the doctor said said it. And she's like, use it or lose it sister. Like it's never going to be as easy again. In other words, like it just feels sometimes like I'm walking around going, why aren't we just like having sex like every day and every hour? Because one day it's going to be harder and not feel as good. So anyway, I I'm sure there's a lot to dissect in that, but I thought it was really, Really funny. Like your vagina is closing up.
1: It is going to be done. So these are the like you should never walk out of the doctor and feel like you're sealing up. Like I like that. (laughs) I'm sorry. That there I have a lot of I have a lot of opinions about that. But anyway. So as our estrogen falls, there are changes to the tissues of the vagina that happen. And that includes changes in the muscle tone. So a lot of women in the beginning stages may notice that like, okay, so I had my babies however long ago, I never had an issue with incontinence, or I had some incontinence, but now it's like worse. And some of that is because as the hormones decrease vaginally, you may have changes in that muscle tone. It that That can affect orgasm for women. And so sometimes doing actually some pelvic PT and working on strengthening those muscles can impact that Um, dryness. That's probably the biggest thing. And with that dryness, there is some shrinking. So estrogen does make the vagina stretchier and longer. So when estrogen goes down, the opposite happens. Now... When we talk about hormone replacement, the vagina is almost like a separate place. I mean, it's not. It's in your body. But when we replace hormones, like if you're having hot flashes and all of the other symptoms that come along with menopause, and you're talking to your doctor about hormone replacement, it is hard to get enough, like you're going to have to be on pretty high doses of hormone replacement to actually impact the vaginal tissues enough. And so I like to think about the vaginal issues as their own separate thing because I kind of treat them separately. So there are a lot of women who go through menopause and they really – kind of sail through like some hot fly, like no big deal. Don't feel like they need a lot of hormones, but the vaginal dryness is like.
0: Killing you. Killing
1: you. And like they went from really having a great sex life to feeling like almost afraid of it because it hurts. And that we don't want that. Okay. So that, um, so one of the things that I talk to people about starting in your forties is, we're going to pretend like our va- our vagina needs face cream, okay? So, you put night cream on your face, okay? You're going to put some coconut oil on your vagina. We could be doing that anytime we Any, want. Anytime! It's, it's in the kitchen. Go get it. No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. Give your vagina some face cream. No, I love it. I mean, it. actually, <laughs> like, not backtrack don't put face cream on your vagina put some <laughs> coconut oil on your vagina it is safer um but that you know just moisture right so that is natural unless you're allergic to coconuts could you just use your lube you can you-, you can but a lot of lube is water-based so it wears off so it, it evaporates and, okay and so i like the oil-based yeah awesome yeah so that's just there for you not gonna hurt yourself you're not gonna hurt yourself okay Very nice um so that's step 1. Now, as you get to where it if it becomes more of a problem, if you have burning, if you have pain with sex, if sex stops to be stops being fun or enjoyable, that's where there's a couple of ways you can go. Vaginal estrogen is sort of the gold standard and for the most part, it's low risk. You don't actually absorb a ton vaginally. There are, like we've talked a little bit, if you've had a previous history of breast cancer, it's going to be a bit more of a deeper discussion. But um, vaginal estrogen works. You might, most of the time it's like twice a week. Um, which, you know, you have to like... That's why I t- start with coconut oil. Now you're in a routine. You've got a ritual of doing s- doing some night cream. And then twice a week, you're going to start throwing some estrogen in the mix. Okay. Um, and it is perfectly reasonable to ask your doctor for a prescription for estrogen cream if you're having vaginal dryness. Does the dryness last forever? It does. It okay. does because there's no estrogen. Okay. You know? So the dryness... Yeah, it, okay. you know, and it, it dep- and it doesn't bother everyone. Like, not everybody has dryness and atrophy and pain with sex to the same extent. It's uh-huh. really variable. I think another thing to remember is we make estrogen in our fat cells, so depending on what your body is made of, you may have more estrogen than others. And so that, you know, there's differences there. Um, the other thing that exists is, um, they, you can, and I believe that this has to be compounded. I, at least that's how I've done it. Um, is you can use a DHEA, uh, vaginal suppository. And the reason that I bring this up is that this is DHEA is eventually, um, converted to testosterone and then to estrogen in our bodies but in our vaginas it's not but it can act as a little bit of a hormone replacement and it's a little bit safer if you're on that um, have a history of breast cancer kind of thing wow. yeah god
0: this is so awesome
1: yeah all right,
0: so let's say we've covered a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, there's more. There's
1: there's so always more, you guys. More. There's always more.
0: But um, but let's move on to when people decide it is time for me to do this thing called HRT. Yeah.
1: What? How? Why do you make that decision? So that is a really really good question, and I want to kind of think about it. Um, based on lots of different factors. So the biggest reason people start on HRT is hot flashes, I would say. That's the the main symptom that that drives people to just be like, I cannot, I'm not sleeping, I'm soaking through my sheets, and I'm miserable, and my partner's miserable. And um, like, for the sake of my life or my partnership or my marriage or whatever, I I, like need some help. Um, So that's a really big reason. Now, there's lots of press out there about HRT and all the different studies that have been done to try and prove that it is or it isn't helpful. And so I think what it's important to know, just like putting it all together is we we talk about HRT close to that last period, right? So that when you're starting to have hot flashes, it's, it's the statistics of like safety and stuff are much better in the four to six years sort of right after menopause. If you're already 10 years out from menopause, and now you're deciding that you want to think about HRT, the risks are very different. And that I I think we're going to leave, let's leave that alone. Let's talk about like when you're in this transition time. So things that HRT is really good for. So when we talk about HRT, we're talking about supplementing estrogen and usually progesterone unless you don't have a uterus. And then oftentimes people won't supplement progesterone. Um, I think that that's a little controversial. I think you, you can't progesterone has a lot of benefits. Um, we've talked about like the sleep and, and the anxiety and that kind of thing. Um, so I think you can ask if you don't have a uterus, let's say you've had a hysterectomy, but you're like, I kind of want to be on combination. That's not going to hurt you. Um, so we do that, um, mainly to prevent hot flashes, but it has this downstream effect of boosting memory a little bit. So like, there, there's this and this is all still being studied, you guys, but there are there are some data that supports that it may help prevent Alzheimer's. Um, your risk from a breast cancer standpoint and a heart disease standpoint, that's where I would say you need to have a conversation with your doctor, because that is really different across the board. We are all carrying our own genetics. We're all carrying our own past experiences and past issues, whether you've had heart disease, whether you've had high cholesterol, whether all of your family members have had various things. And so those are much more unique to you um, and need to be discussed. So like, if you have had a personal history of breast cancer, or for, I'm going to use myself as an example, um, using uh, breast cancer screening um, risk tool my risk of breast cancer is somewhere between 35 and 40%. Hormone replacement therapy is not a good idea for me. Okay. That's just that's how it has to be. Um it doesn't mean that I can't, but it does mean that knowing my statistics I'm not I'm not going to do that.
0: So how do people use what tool is
1: this so to find out what their chances are? This is, is something that you're you would go through with your doctor. Okay. Yeah. This okay. is something to do. Um, yeah, because there are different tools out there depending on if you're already sort of flagged as high risk. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. So so
0: basically, a doctor is not going to tell you you must start HRT. This
1: is always
0: no, going to be your decision. It's always going to be an option.
1: Yep. And there are... So we didn't talk about the benefits of bone health. That's another really, really, oh, really big one. So okay. HRT is hugely helpful for protecting your bones. So this is why I think... Sit down and talk to your doctor. Don't be afraid to ask these questions. If you have a really great family history when it comes to heart disease and breast health, but everyone in your family has osteoporosis by the time they're 55, hormone replacement therapy could be really, really important for you, right? So um, these are individual... Things. Well, and it's funny because the whole
0: topic reminds me a little bit about getting an epidural or not mm-hmm. in your, preg- you know, when you're having, when you're birthing a child, yeah, it's yeah. like, I'm going to try to do it without the epidural because I'm just going to be as tough as I can. Right. And so there are women out there who I've heard say, like, don't do the hormones,
1: stay off them, tough it out. You can get through this. And kind of course of you can. I mean, women have been doing this for so centuries. Of course you can, but I guess I'm here to tell you, you don't have to like, so, you know, if you're uh, uh, like, like oh, if you're in like labor and in, um, in the labor industry, sorry, not in active labor, having a baby. And if you're in the labor industry and you're having to work outside in the heat in the summer, and you're having 17 hot flashes a day, and you feel like your smoke is coming out of your ears, maybe you don't have to do that. Like maybe maybe there are things that we could do to make that more comfortable, <laughs> you
0: know. Yeah, and that's that is science and modern medicine. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um this is amazing. I mean I'm so,
1: I mean I hope it's helpful. I know that I you know, this is a whole branch of science. You know, I think it's, it is always hard to boil this kind of thing down into like one hour. So. Well, and it, it can't, it, mm-hmm. it
0: absolutely cannot, but we have, we've gone deep in places. We've skimmed the surface in places. And there are a number of people who probably are going to want to reach out to you and say, Hey, maybe you can help me. Um, And, and I hope they do. Right. Yeah. So yeah. how, actually, how do they reach you?
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a virtual functional medicine practice. Um, my website is wellovatehealth.com So it's W-E-L-L-E-V, the number eight, Health.com. Um, and I am actually running a hormone reboot program starting in mid-September. Um, so that will all be virtual. Um, I'm happy to provide information if you are all... Um, If anybody is interested, um, I really the whole goal is to help balance and stabilize hormones without drugs. Um, And that is not again, that's not because drugs are bad, but that's because we have a lot more power than we think we do. And I want people to know what their power is.
0: Yes, and I agree. Um, All of that information is in the show notes, so just scroll down wherever you are listening. Um, I actually was like, God, I hope we can talk about puberty because I'm kind of feeling bad for my husband or many of us whose partners are watching their spouse go through menopause (laughs) at the same time (laughs) that their children go through puberty. But you know what? We should do another episode on that. Oh, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Because I I know that we feel crazy from this whole menopause transition, but I have a feeling I'm going to feel a little bit crazy in a different way watching mm-hmm. and not being able to understand or remember what it was like, you know, so many years ago to go through what Wilder is about to hit. To
1: go through. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking I have two girls and one shower oh. and I'm wondering <laughs> what that's going to be like, but you know. We we'll, We can do hard things. This is uh, the
0: thing. we, we, They can come over anytime or you can. And shower. And use one of our showers. <laughs> um, all right. And uh, you know what? I almost actually forgot. There is a question that I ask every guest who comes on the oh. show. And even though this is a special series, I'm doing it because okay. it's in the Hit Run me. This World podcast. If you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be?
1: I think the big thing is I would say, remember you are worthy of love. By yourself and others and this world around us. Just love. Yeah. We're way too hard on ourselves all the time. I love it. Love it.
0: Love ending it on love. Okay. Thanks, Thanks, Nicole. Till next time. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. It feels good to take charge of our health and our bodies Especially at a time in life when they are doing crazy, unpredictable things. Do not forget to take advantage of our offer from Inside Tracker to be the best advocate for your own health as you can. For a limited time, Run This World listeners get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Visit insidetracker.com forward slash run this world for 20% off. Do it. And if you have questions, shoot me a note. Nicole at NicoleDeBoom.com and I will answer any questions you have. Okay, everybody, that's all I got today. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout and we'll see you next time.